Good morning and happy Mother's Day. I want to thank all the mothers out there who invest in their children, who take time to raise uh, their children in such a godly way. And for y'all being here with us today, we know there's everything else in the world um, that you could be doing today. Um, but we thank you for being here. And uh, so happy Mother's Day to you. Um, it's good to be back. Thank you for the worship team who has diligently set forth songs by which go well in hand with the series that we've been going forward with. So I appreciate the time and the effort for them of, of putting that in uh, and producing in us uh, a desire to worship and, and guiding us there. So I want to stand and, and read Galatians chapter 5, 16 through 26 again. We read over that last week. Um, but I want you to hear it once again, so if you'll stand to your feet uh, as you turn there. It's in honor of God's Word. It says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before, those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. You may be seated. Father, uh, as we come before you, your word is laid out. We have come to you in song. God, we desire that the spirit that dwells in each of us as believers, that, Lord, we would just worship you. We don't ask that you gather here with us today, Lord, as you are already with us. And, Lord, we pray as we look today into the fruits of the Spirit, of what should be evident in our lives, Lord, that it would be true. That you would bring about clarity in my words, that you would give understanding to those who hear and application and desire to apply it to their lives. In your name I pray, amen. So as you know, for the past couple of weeks, we've been working through this mini-series that I like to call it on the Holy Spirit. Just kind of a small look at the person and the work of the Spirit. And looking today specifically, what I want you to get across is that the Holy Spirit produces fruits in us that draw us to a life of holiness and counters our old natures. That's what I hope you take away today. That these fruits are tangible and provide evidence of the Spirit's work in the life of the believer. 
So, in other words, if we can't see these things, if they're not tangible in our lives, I hope that this message is a challenge to you today, as last week's was as well. So, two weeks ago, I had the opportunity to lay out a theological truth to you. That was the fact that the Holy Spirit, in His person, in His work, He gives us a new heart, right? You remember that? You recall it? And in that work, it produces new desires and understanding that it is by faith that He produces that saves us and not by works. So, by the Spirit of God, we understand an understanding of theological truths about who God is, how He works through the very person and being of the Spirit of God. And it is He who saves us. Last week, we began to look at the internal change and application that should have on our lives. So internally, last week, I hope you began to process and think through, what does this really look like for my life? How is this fleshed out? If I say that I am a new creature in Christ, if the Spirit, I believe in Him, and He indwells me, then what should that mean for my life? Well, Paul gives us a nice comprehensive list, right? And then he gives it throughout the rest of the New Testament as well. To say, you shouldn't continue to do these old things of the old nature and the old flesh. But because if you do continue to do those things, it should be evident that it is obvious that you will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's important. So, if the Spirit of God dwells in us, we shouldn't desire the old ways of the flesh. That we should yield to the Spirit daily. We talked about that last week. Which should in turn create a hatred for sin in our lives. Remember that? Anybody practice that this week? I hope so. I hope you put some of those applications into effect that I talked about and begin to think about how do I hate my sin today? The second part of that internal change, though, is that the Spirit produces fruit that is evident in our lives. Now, there, there's a structure to what, how Paul writes this here. God gives us a new heart through the Spirit, and then through that new Spirit, it produces a, a hatred for our sin and as we hate sin, the producing of the Spirit's fruits in our life become evident. Why does Paul put sin on top of the evidence of the fruit? Well, he's teaching us the truth here that it, ultimately it affects how the Spirit works in our lives personally and then collectively as a church. So as we look at that, um, I still have to go back to verse 16 and 17 that the fruit derives out of a life that yields to the Spirit. Paul comes back to that. He contrasts these two different things. So I'm not going to go back into that in great detail again today, but if you're not yielding yourself to the Spirit, then guess what? The fruits of the Spirit aren't going to be evident in your life. So we see here a contrast with the list of sins that Paul lists starting in verse 19. But then we see a conjunction, right? The but. It's always a positive, optimistic thing. I mean, there's good news to come. That yes, if you're still practicing these things, you are of the flesh, you're not of the Spirit. But if you're of the Spirit, then here's the fruit that should be bearing in your life. It's a good question for you today. Am I bearing these fruits in my life? It's a polar opposite list that derives out of verse 16. The works of the flesh are what we know about each person in the room and in the world, right? So, verse 16, we go back and we look at those sins of the flesh. We know that in our natural state, in our natural being, that is who we are. 
That is what we were born as. That is what we do before we encounter Christ and He saves us. Before He changes us by His Spirit. So out of that, we, we know that each person and in the world, as we deal with people, that that's what they're dealing with, their natural selves. It's a good indicator, reminder to us as we share the gospel. Our bodies are born into flesh and we live accordingly. And notice that the list of the fruits produced within the believer are not orchestrated by the believer themselves. It doesn't say that the believer orchestrates those beliefs. It doesn't say that the believer brings those about. It says that the Spirit does. The only thing that we can offer is sin. That's the only thing that we can bring about in our natural state. It is only by the change of the new heart of the Spirit working in and through us that He brings about the producing of His works, of His being, of His nature. I'm going to read these things to you. Romans 8, 6-11 says, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile toward God. You hear that? Beforehand, we were hostile towards God. That's, that's who we were in our natural state. It goes back to those earlier verses in verse 19 and on. Continue to go on. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. What an indictment, right? If you don't have the Spirit of Christ dwelling in you, and it's not producing the results that are shown here in the Scripture, the fruit, then we do not belong to Christ. It is a hard reality for us today in the church to take that in and to absorb it and to find if, and examine ourselves to find if it's true. It says, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of God, or the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also live to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. That is a promise. If you have placed your faith in the work of Christ alone, then it is by His Spirit that indwells us. So the question is, are we doing enough good to be able to obtain the Spirit in our life? Is it, do we trust and have enough faith in that Christ has done that work and accomplished it so that we may know that the Spirit dwells in our lives. Because life in the Spirit is a supernatural way of life. It is. It is a supernatural way of life to go about showing people love, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control, all of these things that Paul lists out as, as fruit. Supernatural is not something meaning that you can do on your own. If we were left to our natural selves, we would remain bent towards sin. 
The scriptures tell us that. Romans 3. But the work of the Spirit is one that is supernatural. These are attributes that cannot be enforced on the believer. So, let me give you an example in a minute. Nor can a believer conjure them up. So think back to the Old Testament law. Okay, You have the law laid out before you. And in that, you know, the very first commandments, one is don't worship any other idols. So you knock that off your list. You go through life, you don't worship any idols. Let me ask you this. Does that mean that you love God? Can you not worship something else and still not love God? Yes. It is plausible for you to not worship something else as in an idol, making a false image and not loving God. It's, it's possible. It's possible for us to make up rules on our own and to set those rules and say, yeah, I'm a good moral person and not love God. That's why the Spirit is a, has the effect of a supernatural way of life. I, I want you to think, I, I alluded to the, the rich young ruler, remember? Uh, a couple weeks ago in he comes to Jesus. He says, knocked out the whole law, done it all. Perfect. Jesus says, no. Go back and sell everything. What does that prove? He walks away sad. Proves that he is, does not love God as he should. That is at the essence of our very sin, that we think that we can satisfy our life with something else in God's place, and that we can love something else in God's place and not love God. See, fruit derives out of the supernatural work of the Spirit. He is the only one that can bring it to bear in the life of the believer. So when we think about fruit, now let's kind of keep going back to sin. We talked about this in a small group on Friday night. If you think about a person who goes to Alcoholics Anonymous, we see a lot of people who go there. Remember the list from last week, the vice list, that drunkards won't inherit the kingdom of God? So, Okay. I looked at that list. I said, I don't want to be a drunkard anymore. So I go to AA. I get cleaned up. And does that mean I'm saved? No. There's a lot of people who have a change of life. There's a lot of people that get rid of bad habits and bad things in their life and sins in their life. People get married and they come out of sexual immorality and sensuality and different things. That doesn't mean that they're saved any more than the person who is still in those things because they ultimately don't love God. Because there's a difference between not only stopping our sin and understanding we don't sin because we love God, but that we also have a supernatural aspect to love other people. And it's important, these, this list here before us, is it something that we can't force upon ourselves. I can't make Mike over here love somebody. I can't make him to be gentle or kind to somebody. That is something only the Spirit can do in somebody's life. I can tell you to do those things, but only the Spirit can bring those things about. So, a good question is, when you look at that list of the fruits of the Spirit, are, are, you, are you doing them? Are they evident in your life? Because if they are, it's a good indication that, okay, I'm walking in the Spirit. I'm, I'm yielding to the Spirit daily. If you're not, if, if, if you hate someone or if you can't forgive somebody, if you can't move past things, if you can't show people patience, 
what is that revealing about you? What is it saying about the supposed internal person that's indwelling you? Because the Holy Spirit doesn't act like that. He doesn't teach you not to forgive other people or not to love other people or not to show people patience as God has shown all of us. So why, in our own accord, we, we act against that very same nature that we say lives in us now, which is the Spirit of God or that person that lives in us now. So it's not a surprise that we find love at the top of the list of fruits, right? When you think about it. I think Paul is methodical in this way in which he writes his letter. He, he is trying to get a point across. He doesn't leave love for in the middle of the list or at the very end, but he begins with love. Because there's something of such significance there of love. Because God so loved us, we in turn should love God and also love other people. The two commandments... Remember, Jesus says that they're pretty much all the commandments are brought into two commandments, to love God and to love others. How are you doing that today? How well are you doing that? So Paul is methodical here. He prioritizes what must be evident first in our lives. You get that, church? What must be first in your life is evident here. It is not patience first. It's not gentleness first. It's not kindness. Matter of fact, I would tell you those things cannot come to be unless you love people. Unless you love one another. Now, Paul is talking to the church here. He's not writing a letter to the world on how to act. He's writing a letter on how believers should act towards other believers. And the first step in towards that is understanding that the Spirit of God indwells us. He's changed us. And out of that change, He gives us love. He produces love within us. Oftentimes, we allow our sin to get in the way of that. So, none of the other virtues become realized until we love. I'm going to make that point here with some scripture here in a minute to back that up. That's not just Jeff's thoughts. How can you show gentleness, kindness, goodness, and patience, etc., without love? Out of love, all of those other fruits come to bear. You remember 1 Corinthians? We studied it. I don't know, probably every year ago now, right? Y'all remember that study? And then when we get the, the chapter we all know well, chapter 13, the love chapter, we hear it at every wedding we go to, and, and oftentimes it becomes, you know, kind of ingrained in us, and we kind of just understand it as that, oh, that's that chapter I'm going to hear at a wedding. But, but if you remember, Paul is dealing with things in the Corinthian church. He's dealing with sin in the Corinthian church because people are thinking that they're better than one another. Primarily, they're thinking that they have more faith than one another or either they have uh, better spiritual gifts than one another. And if you remember, as Paul lays out in, in great detail what love is in 1 Corinthians, and he is chastising the Corinthian church there, that they can have all the spiritual gifting in the world. It can. You, you can have all the spiritual gifts. You can speak in tongues. You can heal. You can, uh, you can sing. You can preach. You can teach. You can do all of those things. You can be good at everything possible. Or you can have the faith to move mountains. He says this. He said, you can have faith to move mountains. Remember, Jesus said that. Have that type of faith. 
But it's interesting here, Paul says, you can have that type of faith and you can be, have this special gifting, but these things are like a clanging cymbal before the Lord if love is not a priority in the church. So if you have divisions, dissensions in the church, if you have disputes, if these are issues in our lives, in your life, if you have a problem with another brother, if forgiveness or unforgiveness is not yet settled in your heart, you haven't went to that person, all of these things that are indicative of our love for one another, if, if those things are present and we're not loving one another, Micah might as well get up here with a symbol and clang around behind me. Because everything we do here today has no relevance to it whatsoever. It, it is not inviting to the Spirit if love is not in the life of the believer. And it is a supernatural occurrence when that happens. Again, love is not an emotion. It's not something that you create. It's something that is evident by the Spirit living in your life and you yielding yourself to the Spirit daily. Remember, that's how all this starts, right? Yield yourself. Walk by the Spirit. It's impossible for you to produce, or not produce, but the Spirit to produce His works in you if you're not yielding to Him. So... Are we just a clanging symbol? Are you? Are you in your life, in your marriage, in the church? Are you a clanging symbol? Listen to these verses. 1 Corinthians 13, 14, at the very end of that, says, So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is what? Love. The greatest of all these things. Over faith and hope, Love is greater than those things because it is most evident of those things. How do you have hope and faith without love? Romans 5.5, 5, the second portion of it, says God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So if His Spirit pours out His love into our hearts, it should be an overflow of that that comes out into our church, into our community, into our households, into our friends, our family, everybody. How is it that we bottle it up? It is not what God's called us to do. But it has been given through us to the, through the Holy Spirit. God's love. Not to be kept to ourselves, but to be used. Romans 13, 8 through 10. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. You fulfill the whole law. That for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. So all of these verses teach us the significance, the importance of love, even how love is even primary. But more than anything, I want you to hear this because I think it helps bring all of the other gifts of the Spirit, His fruits, 
helps put them in the perspective for us. Colossians 3, 12 through 14 says, Put on then as God's chosen ones. If you're a believer, you consider yourself a chosen one. Holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. So put these things on. Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you. You get that? As the Lord has loved you, as he's forgiven you. We're to treat one another the same. So you also must forgive. And above all these, listen, put on love. So, so Paul, at the beginning of our passage, puts love at the top. At this passage, puts it at the end. But he, it serves the same purpose. Because listen to this, what Paul says about that. When you put on love... It binds everything else together in perfect harmony. Everything that he's listed here before from 12 through 13, it is bound up in love. If there's anything else I can get out of you today, you can, we can preach sermons all day long on patience and on long-suffering and, and forgiving one another and all these things, but if it's not out of love, then it's not going to be of any benefit. Because it, it, it won't be genuine. It won't be true. Love that. Above all these, put on love. So above all these, because it binds everything else together in what? Perfect harmony. All these other things come to be perfectly when you do that. When you see people as Christ saw them. When you treat people as Christ treats them. That's why that reminder is back in Romans 13. We should love our neighbors and then on for forgiving. But So what brings everything together in perfect harmony? Love, it binds everything else together. Next week, we're going to see how love is a fruit internally in the life of the believer, but how it affects the church as a whole. So right now what I'm doing, what's been laid out the past two weeks, is understanding that Internally, God should be at work in your personal life. And, and Paul's laid that out here. He's laid it out to the church, but he's also speaking to individuals in the church. So he's saying that pretty much you should be putting to death your sin as you yield to me. And then as you put to death your sin, there's fruits to bear that come out of the Spirit. Then we have to ask the question, well, if that's true as an individual, and these things are coming to bear in our life and they're coming to bear in each person's life what does that mean for us collectively communally as a church because it has to have some type of impact on us it's not just individualism us coming to church to do this one thing and leave it's us coming together in order so that the fruits of the spirit may be produced so that we are working towards one cause and advancement of the gospel it has to be that way. So we have to ask the question as we look across the landscape of America and we blame culture and we blame everything else for the lack of gospel change in our culture, gospel movement. Is that really culture's fault? Or is that the church? And I think we have to take ownership in that. It is not the culture. The culture is doing exactly as they are always done, as they always will do. 
But I would say, as we look historically through the ages of the church at different points, the one commonality, the one thing that churches have when they spread, and we look at other places around the world where the gospel is spreading, it is because they love one another and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. See, there's a constant overflow effect here. If God dwells in you, you have the fruits of the Spirit. If you have the fruits of the Spirit, then the church ultimately overflows out into the community that it's in. We're going to look at that next week. Fruits of the Spirit are evidence of the Spirit in our lives and our belonging to Christ. So meaning that fruits of the Spirit externally flow out of our lives and can be seen. It's the last point. You get that? So the tangible aspect of this is that if I say the Spirit lives in me and He indwells me and His fruit is, is coming to bear, then there's going to be tangible evidence of that. I can say that I love, you know, Micah. But if I, I don't show love towards Micah, then I, do I really love Micah? I could use anybody else in this room as an example. We can say that we love one another, but saying it and showing it in tangible ways is totally different. You can say that you forgive in a person, you have forgiven a person, but have you restored relationship back with that person? Or have you just saying, well, I've forgiven them and you just don't talk to them anymore? There, there's tangible measurements in our lives that we should be able to look at and say, am I doing these certain things that help or that show that the Spirit's at work in my life? Matthew 7, 17, 18 say, So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a distress or diseased tree bear good fruit. Let me ask you this. As an individual, as a person in this room, what is your life producing? Something to think on. What is your life producing? Is it good fruit or is it bad fruit? Is there evidence that the Spirit indwells you? Is in living within you. Listen to Ephesians two thirteen through fifteen. But now in Christ Jesus, you have once you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And all believers have to understand that, right? We were all far off, but we were brought near by the blood of Christ. We've been singing about that. For He Himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in two of the place of one, sorry in the place of two so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility you see that's what the work of the cross does it, it doesn't only take away the hostility that we have towards God, but it takes away the hostility that we have towards other people. It breaks that down. It says, And he came and preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we, talking about the church, both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. 
but you are fellow citizens with saints and members of the household of God. Do you think about that collectively when you're starting to take that turn as we will look next week? When we internally look at ourselves, are we hostile towards one another? Are we loving towards one another? Do we understand who we used to be and where God has brought us because we are all of the same accord? What does this verse have to do with this topic, right? We were all saved by the blood of Christ. He breaks down any hostility with one another, and we were no longer strangers but fellow citizens and members of the household of God. There is, an, there is this in internalizing now to begin to work itself out so that it is no longer that I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I was glad when Micah shared this verse earlier. went hand in hand. Do you understand that it is no longer you who lives, but Christ who lives in you through the indwelling of the Spirit. That goes back to what Jesus promised his disciples in John 14, that I'm going away but I'm sending another who will indwell you, a helper. That's who we've been studying this whole time. It's what Jesus was referring to back in John 14, that person and his work. It is no longer you who live as the Spirit lives inside of you, but it is Christ who lives. So I finish with this. Are you loving others as Christ has loved you? That's something for you to think about this week. That's not a question for you just to write down on a study note page and not to do anything with. Or, so when I talk about yielding to the Spirit daily last week and you getting up every morning and, and thinking through that, am I yielding myself? A question that should follow, am I loving others as Christ has loved me? Because if not, we need to yield ourselves back to the Spirit is the fruit of love evident in your life? It's a good indicator of the Spirit living in your life. Just as the list of sins are evidence of a genuine faith, so are the fruits of the Spirit. Two ways here in which Paul challenges the church to examine themselves. So he's given this, right? I'm going to leave you with this. Holy Spirit dwells you. He gives you a new heart, new desires, new affections. You know by either you're going to live by list A or you're going to live by list B. And the fruits of the Spirit will be producing and reproducible in your life. And the effect that that has communally on the church, it overflows. It's amazing when you talk about churches catching on fire and things like that, getting on fire. What's happening across our world when we see the, the gospel expanding, it is because... The spirits at work. It's like a wildfire. You can't even put it out. So we, we have to ask ourselves, why, why is Kings Mountain, why is Gastonia, Bessemer City, the surrounding areas, why is it spiritually dead? The only thing I can come back to is the fact that the church is not being who she should be. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, just thank you for today. 
as Lord, you have showed us here the importance of, of this really one concept of your fruit of, of love and how everything else is tied into it. We could go into a study about each word here, Lord. I wanted to focus to the one word that binds all of these other words together. All of these other characteristics as a believer. Lord, may it be true of us as we wake up in the morning, we say, Lord, am I loving as I should? As we go to bed at night, Lord, am I loving as I should be? And Lord, if we're not, may we seek in repentance forgiveness for that. May we yield ourselves in such a way, Lord, that your fruit becomes evident in our life. So that the members of our flesh may not carry on and overtake us, but may we be striving constantly in a life where, Lord, it is yours. Lord, lead us as we respond now in song and in giving and in the Lord's Supper as we we rejoice in the fact of your work. Lord, thank you so much for your grace and your mercy upon us that you lavish so greatly. That you didn't look down as to see our sins, but you set your affection on it and you loved us despite them. May that be us, Lord.